Thanks for joining us today on Geezers of Gear. Today's podcast is brought to you by ACT Lighting. ACT is North America's leading distributor and manufacturer of entertainment technology products with award-winning brands, including MA Lighting, Ayrton, Chainmaster, Luxie Bell, AC Power, Robert Juliet, Zach Track, and MDG, as well as cable and interconnect solutions from Rapco Horizon, Proco, and Roadhog for virtually any audio, video, data, or power distribution need. ACT employs amazing team members who are each dedicated to providing exemplary service and support while ensuring the show goes on by maintaining inventory and 24-7, 365 technical expertise in nine locations throughout the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Visit actlighting.com for more information. Okay, and here we are, episode number 111, on a dreary, rainy Friday afternoon in South Florida. Sunny South Florida ain't so sunny today. So, um, this is actually a fun one, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. We had a hard time fitting these guys in this week, but... uh, uh, really looking forward to it. But anyways, this has been a pretty cool week. We had, um, on Wednesday, we had a pretty cool happy hour. <clears throat> if you're not aware, every Wednesday we have a happy hour that I started now. Uh, we just had the 11th one. So I started it 11 weeks ago, going on 12 next week. And we do it every Wednesday at 5 o'clock Eastern time. And this week, I think we had about 70 people. And these are people who are heads of lighting companies, heads of sound companies, heads of manufacturers. Um, don't have to be a head of a manufacturer or a head of any of these companies, but we do have some uh, some significant uh, positioned people on the call. We have a lot of lighting designers, great lighting designers, some talented uh, road crew, just all kinds of a very, very you know unique set of individuals who I'm very proud to host every week and it's a lot of fun. I mean it's it's generally a really positive discussion. If you're interested in joining, just shoot an email to geezers at gearsource.com and say I'd like to join the happy hour and I'll make sure you get added on to that invitation and then you'll be on there every week and you'll get invited and you can always ditch it if you don't feel like going so there's no pressure but um, really great group of people. And a lot of fun, a lot of information. This week was actually one of the more informative ones. Um, Michael Strickland, CEO and founder of Bandit Lights, who has really been, you know, a spokesperson for our industry to the government, state, federal, city government, um, and and has worked on programs including PPP, and um, really has kind of you know, done a great job letting the government know, hey, we're over here. We're still out of work. We were the first ones out of work. We're going to be the last ones out of work. And um, he's he's really done, you know, a great job just not only, you know, 
kind of pointing out who we are and what some of our issues are. But, you know, it's not just the restaurants and uh, maybe theaters and, and nightclubs who need your help. We do, too. And, you know, it's not just that we need their help as far as handouts, but we also need their help from a standpoint of, you know, just get helping us open back up and do shows and do the things that we all want to do. I don't know of anyone who just wants to sit home and, and collect money right now. Most of the people I know are really, you know, anxious and passionate about getting back to work. And so, yeah, Strickland has done a really fantastic job helping to, um, you know, just inform people on what's going on out there and bringing us some information and stuff. And so if you want to see the talk that we had this week, including all of the great information that Michael Strickland brought to the table, you can go to YouTube and uh, it's under Geezers of Gear and it will be happy hour number 11. And again, if you want to join next week, it's number 12. And uh, you just send an email to geezers at gearsource.com and say, I'd like to join the happy hour and you will be added. Uh, next is <clears throat> the good news is I am hearing about more people getting back to work, uh, certainly outside of our industry, but also inside our industry, hearing about more shows. Uh, I think a lot of you have probably seen that white paper that came out this week in the movie business. And that's a really good thing. It's not over yet. You know, nobody's approved it yet or anything, but the industry basically handed a white paper into the government and into the people who are making the big decisions. And um, I think everybody's finally starting to get on the same page and we're seeing that, uh, uh, you know, that we can get back to work and we're not idiots. We can figure out how to do it safely. And so that's a really, really good thing. Uh, what else is going on? I do want to kind of give a little self-promotion here um, from GearSource. So GearSource has been working for probably two years now on redeveloping our platform. And I think most of you know I am the founder and CEO and owner of GearSource. And um, so, you know, basically that company is very much converting its uh, platform over to a full-on marketplace platform. So we've always been sort of the closest thing to a dedicated platform in or a dedicated marketplace in this industry, but now it really is the full-on marketplace for the industry. So a lot of really cool things there and also great opportunities for sellers, especially larger companies who have you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in inventory, but also for a little local or regional rental company who just needs to get access to, you know, not only national, but global markets for selling their gear. That's exactly what this will give you. And um, the other thing is there's also an opportunity for something that we're calling area developers, where we're signing on partners in different countries all over the world and those partners will really be sort of our exclusive uh, handler or agent for that territory for all listings and all sales into that territory. It's a really great opportunity for rental companies or uh, distribution companies, for any company really that's in this industry. Um, we will look at individuals, but really we're kind of looking for a company to get behind it companies that have staff and can support our users uh, in that country. So anyways, not going to take too much time on self-promotion, but I did want to let you know that that's something that we're working on real hard and you're going to start seeing some announcements coming out. 
And what else? Um, nothing. I think that's it for my news and information this week. Nothing too amazing. And so these guys here are uh, very interesting individuals. And so I'm going to screw up Neil's last name, Neil Juneja and Joe Cole uh, from R90. So Neil, I think many of you will know him as a lawyer from Gleam Law. If you know him a little bit further back, you will know that he was also a lighting guy and has been in the industry uh, in the past prior to really uh, kind of growing up and becoming an attorney, I guess. And uh, he's a very successful attorney, but he also is still attached to events. And um, in particular, uh, so, and, and Joe, of course, owns uh, R90 Lighting in Seattle. And so these guys got together and created, along with, I think, some other partners and helpers and stuff, um, they created, I believe, if not the first, one of the first uh, drive-through raves. And they've done a few of them now, and I think they've been pretty successful with it. And that got my attention and got me wanting to bring them on the podcast and talk to them about this drive-through rave uh, concept or any of these drive-through concepts, because we keep hearing about them, but you know, it's kind of like Bigfoot. You, you hear about people doing them, but nobody ever has seen one or whatever, right? So I really want to talk to these guys just about the economics and about just some of the challenges in doing it and the successes and how it works and all of that kind of stuff. So here you go, the Neil and Joe show. Come on. Yeah, I own lightinglaw.com. Forwards to my website. Oh, well, welcome to <laughs> Geezers of Gear. So anyways, that was the very first, uh, that was the intro on our podcast today was that Neil owns, what was it? Lightinglaw.com. Lightinglaw.com. I also own assholelawyer.com. Oh. So if you ever need to find no. me. I know a lot of asshole lawyers. They must work for you. <laughs> Sometimes we point them at competitors just to fuck with them. But, <laughs> but it points on our website currently. Yeah. Neil does have a chance to get drunk and buy websites. I have to look at my notes because I have to get the pronunciation of Neil's name right. Neil Juneja and Joe Cole. And uh, so thank you guys for joining me here today. I'm looking forward to this. You're, uh, you're, you're in Seattle. And uh, I'm sorry for that. I've been sitting here talking to these guys for the last 15, 20 minutes about how great it is in Florida right now and that I'm going out for dinner tonight at a really nice restaurant and all of this stuff. And I guess Seattle hasn't quite opened up yet. No, it certainly hasn't. Um, we still have groups of less than five, six foot distancing, wearing masks. And with the protests, we have curfews as well that have been going on for the last week. Jesus. Wait, actually, we just shut the protest or the uh, the curfews are gone. Yeah, they ended yesterday, uh, two days ago, and the protests lasted all night. And it was the first time we didn't have violence at a protest, too. The cops didn't shoot tear gas, which is good because it blows right into my apartment or yours. You're on the other side of the protests. Yeah, they walked right by my house yesterday. And, it, you know, it was amazing. Once the police forces were gone, there were no... There was no violence. It was just a nice group of people talking about uh, what they wanted out of life. Yeah. Everyone is really peaceful and friendly. It's not always the case. 
not always the case, but yeah. you know, you uh, you remove the uh, I don't know. I guess when you're when you're protesting police brutality, the last thing you want is police brutality. Yeah, <laughs> it's not really the right response. I think. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I don't know. I I've heard so many both sides of this whole thing that you know I'm I'm generally fairly politically centered and I'm fairly centered on most social issues and I'm pretty centered on most things and I don't know you know yeah. like all I know is if if people are are throwing bricks at the base of my building or whatever I don't live in a uh, I live I'm on the ground floor here so I'm not I'm not in a big building and I'm also not in in uh, downtown anything I'm in the suburbs. But um, I think the sign of police would probably make me feel better, <laughs> you know? So I don't yeah. know. It's hard to say. I would think There's free bricks. Of... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> free bricks. Yeah. Free bricks. Well, we were talking earlier about how the <laughs> cannabis business is doing so well right now in all this COVID stuff, but the brick business is probably doing pretty well too, I would guess. You Absolutely. Know, these... I don't know. I, I think it's the, the flash grenade business and the uh, tear gas business is probably uh, – yeah. Probably doing pretty well as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's a weird world we're in right now, isn't it? Mm. Uh, you know, it's like 2020 has just been a screwed up year in so many different ways. You know, I don't know if you guys uh, knew Darren Deverna, um, who worked with PRG, but he's, you know, he's a guy I've known in the lighting business for 30 years and, uh, you know, really sort of the godfather of, of Broadway lighting for the last 40 years or so, his father and I believe his grandfather was one of the sort of founders of Broadway lighting, you know, and uh, but he passed away just a couple weeks ago and just a lot of stuff this year. It's just been a screwed up year in so many different ways. Really has. Yeah. What what did did John Oliver? What did he do? He blew up like 2016 or something with a big fu 2016, and yeah. I feel like you may have overshot by four years. Yeah, maybe 2020 maybe just said hold my beer. <laughs> oh man, right? 2020 <laughs> said hold my beer. You think 2016 was bad? Yeah. No, you know, a lot of this is very cyclical, though. I mean, every 50, 60 years, you're going to have mass protests, and every hundred years, you're going to have a pandemic, and. Uh, yeah. it, it's, this isn't new yeah. it's just yeah. uh, it's a once in a generation kind of thing yeah or once in every other generation yeah yeah no i agree honestly it's kind of a it's it's a culmination of of everything and right now we're in a really interesting position where you you look at blm and you look at the the list of names from eric garner uh, on up and even even rodney king like this all started years ago but the problem was until now, everyone had jobs and things they had to go do and they were worried about losing their health insurance. And now here you have the middle of a pandemic yeah. with record unemployment where everyone has nothing better to do. Yeah, let's but go throw in a social crisis. What they believe in. <laughs> yeah. on a social crisis. Yeah. Fuel. And, and that's literally, that's the difference between yeah. what's well, happened over the past plus, several years plus, and what's happened right now. Plus a po political divide, you know? I mean, there's a massive well, political a, but divide. But the political divide has been there for the last couple of years. And yeah. I mean, how many black people, how many black men have been killed over the last two years with that political divide? And yes, you've sparked protests. And yes, there's been people standing up and, and, 
and no, but I'm just saying it's another ingredient. You know, the all yeah. the ingredients just seem to blend perfectly for exactly. You and, know, and all now of we have this a stuff pandemic where happen. people are already out of work and, ha- yeah, yeah, and literally yeah. have nothing better to do. But yeah. and they they have the time. They literally yeah. have the time to go out yeah. and stand up for what they believe in, <laughs> yes. as opposed to going crap. I'd love to go to that protest, but I got a meeting tomorrow at nine. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, honestly, I'm, that's where I'm at, you know, cause I've, I've been busier the last three months. You know, one of the things that my company's been doing is, is, you know, we're a software platform at the end of the day. And so we've been rebuilding our software for the last two years and we just ramped it up over the last three or four months in a really big way. We added a lot of developers and programmers and blah, blah, blah. And so we're launching this new platform in August. So between that and just everything else I've had going on, I've just been incredibly busy. So, you know, I I mean, mean, if if someone said, hey, come on, let's go protest something, I'd be like, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of busy. Well, that's not to say I've been down there every single night. I mean, (laughs) this is the the busiest I've ever been for the least amount of money I've ever not made. It's crazy, isn't it? (laughs) Working three times as hard for half the money. Yeah, we we definitely took advantage of the time and we, you know, we use some of that PPP money and we rebuilt an entire sales website. So like the R90 sales side is fully up and going. It looks very professional and polished and good for you. Good for you. We took all the time to do that mess, but in the background, there's not much else to do. Well, you know, somebody sent me something today, uh, within my company, somebody sent me something today that said, what if 2020 isn't canceled? What if 2020 is the year we've been waiting for a year? So uncomfortable, so painful, so scary, so raw that it finally forces us to grow a year that screams so loud, finally awakening us from our ignorant slumber a year. We finally accept the need for change, declare change, work for change, blah, blah, blah. It goes on. And Basically, this is how I've been kind of looking at it, to be perfectly honest with you, is, you know, yeah, it sucks. This is miserable, but you can sort of flip the glass upside down and say, okay, instead of completely empty, how about it's 99% full and we just have to figure out what our position is here. You know, what's my opportunity? Because I think some people are going to start some businesses and evolve some businesses and find some opportunities here that are going to make them very successful. Exactly. I mean, that's, you, you, you probably have the same problem that both of us have, which is you're, you're an optimist, Ah, which is a terrible disease. Brutal. It causes all kinds of terrible things. I mean, look look at uh, (laughs) I started R90 in the middle of the uh, 2009 um, recession. Yeah. Yeah. And it grew Good for you, man. Perfect time to start it. I mean, yeah, it was a great time. (laughs) Terrible time to start a business, right? Actually, it turned out really well. So, you know, here we are are in a global (laughs) pandemic. We're starting a promotion company. But here's the thing. People (laughs) not a great idea, but people ask me an idea. (laughs) People ask me why I was, uh, you know, doing all of the investment things that I am this year in our business, you know, because not only in in GearSource, but in LED, we're we're completely revamping our our franchise model. We've hired people in both companies. Um, And, you know, people are saying, what are you nuts? Because like I have so many friends who are hoarding cash, putting cash, you know, pulling cash out of anything they can you know, selling off stocks, whatever, and just completely hoarding cash, which I think is completely the wrong approach. 
And I understand though, I get what they're doing and I get why they're doing it. But for me, this is exactly the time when, you know, that opportunity exists. And I can't think of it any other way. Cause like you, you know, I'm a, I'm an optimist and I'm an opportunist too. You know, I'm, I'm looking for those opportunities. So, um, and there's a lot of them right now and there's companies that are, you know, going to do really, really well out of this. So, yeah. I mean, look at, so Neil's in the same boat with Optima. I mean, inherently as an attorney, your job is literally to walk into the room and go, your honor, I know my client was found with the murder weapon in his hand, standing over the body laughing maniacally, but there's no way he absolutely did it. And you should let him go immediately. Yeah. Well, I mean, he walked in and picked up the weapon and thought it was absurd. Obviously. (laughs) And then he laughed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I could use that. I could use your optimism on that little uh, suit that I've got going on, Neil. (laughs) That's uh, you know, send me a, the pleadings on that, but that's an interesting one. It's uh, up against a behemoth. You know, maybe we should just have a call at some point and talk about it, but it, it's, it's been interesting. I'll tell you, I've learned a lot. Uh, some of it I haven't liked some of it. I've gone, mm, that's interesting, you know, but uh, yeah, it's, it's been wild for sure. So, um, you know, I gotta be perfectly honest. I don't know much about either of you guys. And, and I know you've both been incredibly active and Joe, especially you, obviously in the, in the more recent past with R90, you've been quite successful, but how did you get started, Joe, in, in, uh, in the lighting biz? And, and I know it wasn't in Seattle, I think, uh, what did you call it? The the dirty south the dirty um, south right yeah no I, I grew up in little rock arkansas and i, I think i uh my my introduction to theater was because i uh i i think i took a i took a speech class or a speech drama class in junior high and uh there was a girl who uh i had a crush on and it all went downhill from there yeah it, that, that was the worst move of my life ever and but you know, in, in reality, it, it starting in junior high, I just kind of got into the whole theater world. And I, I now I'm kind of on the fence about the theater specifically yeah. for yeah. different reasons, but yeah. lighting really stuck with me. And I, I, I ran fall a spot for the Arkansas rep as a side job in high school. So I, I was exposed to all kinds of brilliant design and um, brilliant lighting, scenic, all of that mess. And right. I, I've kind of run the run the gamut of uh, production design, rock and roll, theater, and you know, the, theater is is brilliant, but it can also be really frustrating because you'll you'll get these these smaller producing houses who will like they'll spend hours in production meetings trying to figure out how to recreate a fluorescent office look. And I'm like, let's go buy some $10 fluorescent light fixtures from Home Depot and put them in the fucking ceiling. Yeah, and kind of makes a little bit of sense. Then you get into a fight with a rigger who's like, well, I don't, I couldn't, I don't know. I just, you know, is that rated? And I'm like, it's a office light. I mean, I don't know if there's a rating stamped on it, but it seems to hold up in all the offices around the world. So right. let's just hang it. That's funny. That's funny. So how, how did you, uh, how did you escape Arkansas? Oh, by a Buick. By Buick. But what, you just decided to pick up and leave or, you know? It was, yeah, it was it was kind of one of those throwing a dart at a, uh, a map type of things where, uh, I, you know, I, I knew I, I, I was done with the South and I, you know, I, I started a small company down there, which didn't do, uh, didn't do much business. I a was kind of under the thumb of, 
uh, yeah, lighting company. Uh, and at one point I had a little 60 K rig down there and, you know, a handful of some old NSI dimmers and a, a box track and four motors and no clue. And <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it's a, it was a, as a, any attorney would advise me, it was a terrible place to be, but we were, we were doing like these little, like kind of crappy backwoods festivals. And this was before, um, what was the big, fe- uh, Wakarusa was kind of the first big festival right. in that region. And this was before all of that. We were doing the same Wakarusa site, but we were doing it for 500 bucks a day with these like 60K crappy rigs and like has been hair rock bands um, who would play for 50 people at the end of the four by four rally. Good times. So that was, yeah, good times, right? And yeah, we were kind of under the thumb of a uh, an audio company who kind of ran the, the uh, live production market in there and, at the same time, I was working as the master electrician for a for the Walton Art Center, which is a twenty five hundred seat um, touring house. Okay, and they've got an attached uh, one hundred fifty two hundred seat uh, black box, and a couple other multi purpose spaces. So I I was kind of the head of head of production, head of lighting for that establishment, and um, it just got old, and I knew I wanted to do something bigger, yeah, and get out more, and. Uh, so uh, I, I picked a few cities that I felt like I wanted to live in and uh, randomly selected Seattle out of the possibilities. Interesting. So you you didn't go to Seattle chasing a girl or anything? Um, There was a – it wasn't specifically uh, chasing a girl. See, I knew it wasn't quite as random as you said. It's, <laughs> it was random. of a girl. <laughs> it was, there was a girl who I was interested in who lived in Seattle. Um, so what was we with not... the bullshit story that you just gave me then, Joe? Well, we weren't dating. <laughs> and there was also a very real chance, real chance that I would have picked either Boston or Minneapolis or San Francisco or Portland. Like those are kind of the top, the top six. Okay. Is that six, five, five, six. And I think I picked Seattle partly because I knew someone who lived here who was a good friend. Right. And there was and a girl and a girl and yeah. cute. And yes, there was some romantic interest on my part, but it wasn't a said thing. And it wasn't like I followed someone out here with my tail between my legs looking for love. Right. Right. It was more of a, I know someone there. I've got a foot in the ground. I'll check it out. And I came out. And it's a great city. It's a, you know, it's It's a great place. And what, so what period of time was this? I'm trying to figure out, was this like the beginning of grunge or was it after that? No, this was way after grunge. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I missed the grunge scene out here. This, this was 2000. Oh, six, seven. Oh, okay. Yeah. Way past it. This was sort of yeah, Pearl Jam on their second go round or third go round yep. or whatever. Right? Yep. Cobain was already dead, long dead. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I was in, I landed in Seattle and I was in the airport at, Starbucks or whatever, getting a coffee and the barrister was crying. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, I just heard that Kurt Cobain just offed himself. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like right when I land in Seattle, he dies. Right. It was so bizarre. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I, I just conspiracy. Yeah. Totally strange. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. My, my biggest, biggest uh, Seattle mistake was uh, I, I, I kept getting these random offers uh, several years ago and people were like, man, you should go like, like there's no money in this show, but like, you should come, come like do lights for this, uh, this little, this guy who's coming up right now. Like, uh, he's going to be huge though. He's play. he's open for the blue scholars. His name's Macklemore. And I was like, 
nobody wants another fucking white rapper out of Seattle. Like it's not gonna happen. Oops. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go do a, a show for a hundred bucks at the club to deal with this shit. I got real things going on. I, yeah. I went back to the AV world. Yeah. And, well, and then, lo and behold, you're you're as bad an AR guy as I am because my ex-wife actually worked for Geffen, and um, I lived in Calgary at the time, and she sent me the Nirvana CD, the first one and said check this out it's this hot new band that you know we're just working trying to break them right now and i listened to it and i literally tossed it i was like that is shit (laughs) that stuff is garbage i cannot even listen to that music and uh you know obviously i was a little off on that one so yeah yeah i think there's i i'm i feel like i'm more in tune now and i've definitely got an ear open for the next big thing like there's an artist right now who i'm kind of I'm kind of chasing out of Seattle called Chong the Nomad. Okay. And she's, she's this electronic, like she's this little Asian girl who does like, she's a producer. She plays beatbox harmonica at the same time. What? She's yeah. It's unbelievable. Is, is there YouTube or anything on her? Oh God, there probably is. She actually Chong the Nomad. Chong the Nomad. And she, oh she just God. got a I deal with a, um, an airline commercial. I think she did like Singapore air or something. As, as you'll probably find that YouTube video, but she's I'm just kind of out there. Out. It's, it's kind of in the EDM production arena, but not necessarily e- either one. I got to check it out. That sounds but, amazing. Yeah, we'll see where that goes. I, I've been, I've been pushing to get her to do, uh, do a show with us. And we, we've done a couple shows with her where she's opened. So you got to Seattle in 2006 ish or whatever. And, so now what? I mean, did you bring your rig with you or you sold all that oh, stuff? Oh, man, and... no. You can't fit a 60K rig in a Buick, turns out. Um, uh. <laughs> no, I, I left it all in Arkansas, and I, I swore I'd never own gear again. That was – I just thought, crap, I'm going to go out here in this city and check it out. And I, I got here, and people were like, holy shit, you do lighting? Yeah, we'll totally hire you. And, you know, I got – got job offers left and right and really? uh, it, it sounded great when you come out of arkansas yeah and suddenly people are like willing to pay you 18 dollars an hour to do what you love doing wow and, and then you start looking at the bills and you're like whoa wow this this is decent money and then like you, you i go i i worked for a company um i worked for everyone in town when i first moved to town i did a little bit of freelance yeah and uh kind of saw what was out there and the, the biggest eye opener was just doing these shows, like these little stupid Nordstrom fashion shows at the mall and oh, realized. God, I remember those. Company, <laughs> oh, yeah, right. And like the, I did the some of those. Yeah, I was yeah. working for. Yeah. yeah, they were charging $1,200, which in Arkansas, it would have been like, we literally, I'd literally get calls in Arkansas where people are like, hey, um, we heard you do lighting. Um, could you bring like some of your lights down to the mall? We're doing a big fashion show and, you know, we've got $50 or $100 we can spend. And yeah. so the, the budget in your head is like, wow, $1,200? I could have, like, it, it seems dumbfounding. Yeah. And at the time, the money seemed right. And, you know, it, 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 was, it was an eye opener when one day I found out there was this company called Christie in town. Yeah, and I got in their freelance list, and they basically apologized about only being able to offer me twenty five an hour for this one crew call. <laughs> and I was kind of like, "Wait a minute, these guys are offering me." Oh, wait a minute. Oh, I've been getting fucked. <laughs> Whoops. Nice. And and that that got me into doing bigger and bigger production, and I, I did a lot of AV work. Um, 
for a while, but yeah, I didn't, didn't own gear for a long time and I was really happy not owning gear. You, you were at uh, Hollywood lights for a while too, right? That yep. was, that was, yeah, the one I was, that was screwing you at 18 and, bucks an hour or whatever. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I don't want to call anyone out, but yeah. um, <laughs> this was this was after Rich Fuller was already gone though, right? He retired by then, I think. No, Rich Rich actually was uh was still there. Uh oh. but this was kind of near the end. Uh and it was before kind of the big shake up, I think was in maybe two thousand eight. Okay. Two thousand nine. Okay. So this was right um Yeah, and, and I was working for the like the Seattle office was the satellite office. And there was also at the time there was a huge income discrepancy and, and economic discrepancy between Portland and Seattle. Right, right. So on one hand, you had Portland going, "The hell do you mean he makes eighteen fifty an hour? Like nobody needs to make that. Like, like what the hell oh, is this really? rent?" And then Seattle rents were already starting to climb, which now Portland has caught up. And so they've so, gone, they've done a roundabout <laughs> and caught up a little bit. I, I have a, down. I have a, I have a funny uh, Hollywood Lights Rich Fuller story. So. When I first moved from Calgary, Canada to South Florida and went to work for Martin's distributor, Trackerman at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, this was probably, you guys weren't even in the business yet, but this was 1991. And, uh, and so I was given the Western region, California and, and uh, Oregon and Washington and Nevada. And it was a pretty small company at the time, Martin, but, um, and I didn't know anything. I didn't know really the geography. I didn't know any of the people. So I just kind of took their customer list and started calling people and introducing myself. And so I call and get Rich Fuller on the phone and Rich goes, what's your name? My name is Marcel. And you're with Trackman? Yeah. Don't ever call me again. Click. <laughs> and and so so I pick up the phone and I call him back and I go, Rich, let me talk real fast. So I'm coming out to Portland and I want to meet with you. And uh, he goes, Marcel, I will never do business with your company again. Don't bother. Goodbye. Click. And so, of course, I get out to Portland and I'm a stupid, stubborn Canadian. And uh, long story short, what I found out after I got off these calls, I'm like, why does this guy keep? And they're like, oh, my God, you tried calling Rich Fuller. And I said, yeah, why does he keep hanging up on me? And they said, because we sold him Martin smoke machines and they caught fire and like burned the the curtain in a theater or something happened. I don't recall the exact story, but um, there was a problem. So they they smoked. Isn't that what the, you sold them? The fire. They were fire breathing smoke <laughs> machines. Martin had a problem for a little while. You should have sent him another bill. Yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't that funny at the time. But long story short, I went in and met with them and like brought donuts or something, and he's like. I can't believe you have the balls to be standing in my showroom right now. And I go, well, you know, what do I know? I don't know any better. And I said, you know, I'd like to try and make amends. We have a new smoke machine that doesn't catch fire. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to send you one for free. You can check it out. Long story short, he became one of my biggest customers like right away because I was just so freaking persistent with this guy. I wouldn't let him die. And yeah, those uh, guys bought the Maxis consoles. Yeah, I didn't sell them those. I was gone by then. So I can't be blamed for that one. Somebody I did. did sell them Martin Pals, though. I sold them yeah. Pals, which was uh, well. I mean, it, it, at some point, even Christy lights on Martin Pals. They probably still do. They probably <laughs> still do. <laughs> Huntley doesn't like to sell things very uh, quickly, so that's he, true. He, I, 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 there's some deals right now. You know, they hired uh, they hired George uh, Stunicky. Yeah. 
Yeah, I knew yeah, that. Yeah, they hired yeah. him full G4. time now, and, and he's they've, they've actually kind of gone the. That's one of the interesting changes I've seen with them is just in the past few months, like they they brought George on before COVID hit. Yeah, and so that but now there there's actually a Christy Lice used gear website. Yeah. That I just noticed the other day and was like, yeah. oh wow, no yeah. shit. But yeah, I think they are still selling those pals, maybe. Yeah. Well, Play I mean, anchors. they they hung on to pals longer than anybody did. They hung on to IntelliBeams longer than anybody did. Hey, there's nothing wrong with an I beam. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I unless you want to illuminate anything. Spot. There's lots wrong I with love the track beams. spots. There yeah. are lots wrong. still good pictures. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's wrong with IntelliBeams? It's the pan tilt error. That's what's wrong with uh, the intelligence. Doesn't matter which one. It's a but you know what though, you can't knock it too much because I think to this day the Intellibeam was still the most successful from a lighting company standpoint, from a rental company standpoint. I mean, you bought mm-hmm. the thing for three thousand dollars. You rented it for two hundred and fifty bucks a week for God knows how long, 10, 15 right? mm-hmm. years, and then you could still huh. sell it for like two grand or twenty five hundred bucks. I mean, it was yeah. the most successful <laughs> but, but- rental fixture ever. But from a tech perspective, why why is it that track spots will still run today flawlessly? <laughs> yet a, a seven hundred HX will lose its position in like the first two moves. Yeah, I have no idea. I don't. Uh, I don't know the answer to that. So at what point? So you 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 worked at Christie for a while, Hollywood Lights for a while, and well, no some one, no one works at Christie unless you Christie. want to do warehousing, right? So I, I, I freelance ah. a lot. Right. And everyone, everyone who's, you know, there's very few people who are uh, actual uh, lead. I mean, yeah, there's there's a handful of people who are leads directly for Christy, but not many of them. Everyone's right. either a salesperson or a warehouse staff or or some or freelance. Form of oh, I didn't know that. But almost everybody for them is freelance. Yeah. That's a convenient setup during COVID, I guess. Right. It's a, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're not even in Seattle anymore, are they? Not, not necessarily. Yeah, I heard they pulled all their gear out of Seattle. They don't have a location, but why would you need a location now? Who are you going to rent to? Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's there's, true. there's, they, I don't know, I don't know how public they've been about it, but yeah, the uh, the Christie shop public. is completely empty. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. They've they've pulled out completely. And, you know, it, it makes sense. Like you can't. Seattle's always been a really funny market. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we've on one hand, we're the home of all this giant tech. And on the other hand, we're still this weird, cheap little market where you can literally go, you want how many? No, there's eight in town. Fuck off. Yeah. Wow. Do you want to pay to ship? So it's a small okay, market with a couple of big customers. Yeah. Exactly. And we're not near any other cities to ship from very easily. Right. You got Canada, you got to go over the border. Portland's you have the Portland. As we are. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. We're an island. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It used to be, well, before, um, I would say before 9-11, but but probably later than that, uh, once the border got more locked down, uh, you know, we we used to be close enough to Vancouver that it made sense to ship back and forth. Right, yeah. Even eight years ago, um, Christy kind of put a kibosh on shipping gear back and forth into and out of the States as much as possible. Right. Yeah, I lived in Vancouver for a while when I was, I don't know, in my late teens or early 20s and used to shoot across the border all the time and see bands in Seattle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even, it was even pretty until easy a few years ago, then. it was pretty, pretty easy. Yeah. But especially under the Trump era, it's gotten harder and harder. So, Joe, at what point did you actually decide to start your own company and, and uh, start buying inventory again? Um, 
man, what year was that? 2000, maybe 2012 ish or something. And it, it, it basically started because I was doing freelance for all these AV companies in town. And I was doing all these, these AV shows with, you know, stage wash, backwash, and a pile of uplights. Yeah. And at the time, the world was starting to go LED, but right. nobody was jumping on board with LED. And even Christie had maybe like 24 color blasts in stock, and they didn't even buy them. Like, you know, they, they had that deal going with, uh, what was it, Midnight Hour or? Oh, yeah, yeah, Midnight Hour, yeah. right. Yeah, when, I think Midnight uh, Hour Louis actually Racine. owned all the LED gear. And <laughs> yeah, Louis Racine like, left, uh, left Christie and went over to Midnight Hour, and then they cut a deal to supply them with that gear, I guess. Yeah. So, so at the time, man, you, you were lucky to have 24 color blasts and, and a couple PSUs in town at any given right. moment. Right. And just no, nobody was investing in the technology. And, uh, I, you know, I figured out I could buy this palette of, uh, Chinese color blast knockoffs for about eight grand. The ones where you didn't need the separate power supply or the yeah, data exactly. or whatever. Exactly. Right? Yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I have, I have back and forth about what CK, you know, I get it. CK is an architectural company and they, they kind of half asked their, their, their entry into the production market. Production market's small at the end of the day. It's yeah. all about our, trust me. So. I led source was one of their largest uh, distributors, especially into that industry. Like we sold them all to midnight hour and to Christie and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. But we argued with them all the time. Could you please just make an integrated power supply for the entertainment world? Right. You know, no one wants buy to stock four well, and we would send them like some of the good Chinese knockoffs and say, look, these guys are selling this product for half your price and it's got an integrated power supply. And they're like, yeah, but you know, and I understand on jobs like where they're being installed, it's theirs is a nicer option. It's a safer option where, you're not going to have any as many problems, but, uh, but for rentals, it didn't make much sense. It was oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so that, that was it was I bought so you a started with 50. that. Yep. Wow. And then, uh, ended up with a, a hog. God, I, I picked up a hog 500 at one point on sale for cheap and yeah, it, it just, uh, yeah, it, it just ballooned from there and it, it started in the garage like any good small business should and right. accidentally fell into a thousand square foot warehouse and, then accidentally fell into a bigger warehouse and now here we are. Yeah. And now you wish you didn't have any gear and no, uh, I wish I didn't. Yeah. I'm like, uh, <laughs> and you were a freelancer again, although they're, they're not having the greatest time right no, now. I, no, not I at spent all. A bunch I mean, of time on the phone today with, with someone you guys would know, and I don't want to say who it is, but he's really struggling and he's really having a hard time trying to find his way through the government stuff that's available. And, and uh, just not, oh, not getting yeah. any love. You and I both. I mean, we 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 basically just squandered about three weeks worth of PPP money because they told us we had eight weeks to spend it, and now suddenly yeah. we have four weeks, which that, yeah. that means I burnt through a fifty percent of what I could have saved and, and worked out and and moved out. And, I know, and I know. In the meantime, we we were skirting, we were kind of skirting the the the. Uh, so the $600 bump on unemployment that went out to everybody had caused a lot of problems. And yeah. it was, it, it's been just a real nightmare all the way around. On, on one hand, am I proud that the U S government actually stepped up and gave a shit about the people that live here? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That's great. Yeah. But they didn't do it proportionally. Yeah. And so any of our employees who made less than $29 an hour, like we literally had a warehouse worker 
who made our lowest paid employee made 1850 an hour. And that guy is sitting at home right now making $23 an hour because yeah. of that $600 bump. So well, when they gave it the PPP money, and they it's went a to complicated problem. They said, you have to go tell your employee that if they're not back to work, we're going to cut them off. Yeah, but it's a very complicated problem. And I've, I've gotten into yeah. what I didn't want to become a heated debate. But, you know, I, I can tell that you, you vote Democrat, obviously. And, but if you were not a business owner, you would have a completely different uh, argument on that. And so someone who's at a very high level in another company in our industry, who's not a business owner, um, told me that I was, uh, you know, a condescending prick, basically, for saying that the government is competing with small businesses in our industry and, and really taking their staff because the government is overpaying those staff to sit at home and, and watch Oprah or whatever. And his argument was, you know, the government's doing what they're supposed to do. They're taking care of their people and the government should do more of this. And I get that. I understand that argument, but it's very different when you're coming from Joe Cole's standpoint or viewpoint and saying, but I have a business to run and I need to keep my employees paid or, or employed so that I can get this PPP money and they're leaving to go work for the government unless I'll pay them more money. And it's a complicated problem. Well, we, we solved the problem. I mean, it, it was pretty simple. The, the, what, what we ended up doing in our case is there's a program in Washington state called shared work and with shared work, you, you basically, as a company, you go to Washington state and go, we're going into unemployment and you share the load of unemployment with the state. Okay. And the way that works is instead of a, a, a dollar amount. So in a normal, a normal unemployment situation, you're assigned a weekly rate. That's your unemployment rate and you're paid, let's say it's $300 a week, and you're paid that $300 a week. If you do any work, like if you go do one show and you make a 350 day rate or a $400 day rate, that automatically cuts you off of the unemployment schedule because you made more money in that day than you would have made on unemployment for your week, and it's based on the dollar value of what you made. Okay. With Washington Shared Work, it's based on the number of hours worked. So with Washington Shared Work, I can pay someone $600 an hour for 10 hours and they still qualify for 30 hours of unemployment if they were a full-time employee and on the Shared Work program. No matter what they made on the, in that 10 hours, they still get 30 hours of unemployment at their low, low unemployment rate. Interesting, yeah. But at the end of the day, if you make more than $1 on unemployment, then you qualify to get the $600 bump. So what we've been doing is in order to keep everyone as our full-time employees, we paid everyone 35 hours. And then the extra five hours kicked in under Washington shared work. They got their five hours of unemployment. And because they made more than a dollar in unemployment, that got them the $600 bump as well. So all of our full-time employees oh, actually benefited even more. Yeah. For, yeah. They're raking it in now. I mean, we, and we intentionally did that because we kind of took the stance of, Oh, I see the government's going to pit us against our employees. Well, that's not how we roll. We're yeah. going to work with our employees and we're going to figure out a solution to this because our employees are who we are as a company. Yeah. I mean, we, I can't do shows without our employees. I right. can't do shows without a warehouse. Yeah. Staff. But it, it, it like it. I said, it, it did create a complicated situation and, and oh, uh, absolutely. So I mean, I mean, on the other hand, look at look at six hundred dollar bump in Seattle, Washington. That's basically like coffee change. Yeah, but you take six hundred dollars a week and you give that to someone in South Dakota, and you can buy a fucking trailer. 
Yeah. So the, the discrepancy across the nation because of income discrepancy just yeah. exasperated the problem. The same thing happened with the $1,200 or uh, the, the income bump that they gave to everybody. All the taxpayers got the $1,200. And yeah, if you're in, if you're in Seattle, Washington or San Francisco, 1200 bucks a month is kind of a, Oh, no, thanks. Thanks a yeah. lot. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're in Northwest Arkansas or Kansas city or, or not Kansas city, but like if you're in rural America, that $1,200 is, that's a lot of money. That's yeah. a, that's really Three important. Three months rent or something. Yeah. 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 You're right. So Neil, I, I know you're a very successful attorney now and, and you're very, uh, I think really kind of focused on the cannabis market relatively specifically plus some IP law too, right? Uh, yeah, so we focus on the cannabis industry, but we're basically just a full-service law firm, and that's yeah. an industry we target. So we've got a litigation department. I'm a patent attorney. We have an IP department. Emergent acquisitions are huge. Uh, we have a banking attorney, so we work with credit unions in order to open up cannabis banking programs and take money uh, within federal compliance. Uh, so they can do so that now, because I know that was always they a always problem. Could. Yeah. They always could. The thing is, what credit unions worry about is uh, – is criminal liability for their upper management, which okay. has never happened, but it is a, a thought. And the big banks, they could join it too under FinCEN guidelines, um, but it's just not worth the liability to them as well as they could lose big customers. Right. So we've done uh, a few credit unions in Washington. We just did one in Ohio, uh, California, um, but we can do them in all 50 states. So how, you know, without going too far into this, how close are we to a federal, uh, you know, law? Well, for the last seven years, I've made my estimates. And for the last seven years, I'm wrong. So I don't know. A couple years. Yeah, we're still pretty every far day, away. Every yeah. year. Yeah. I mean, it, it might actually be what brings us out of the depression we're going into. When the states realize, I mean, Washington State, for instance, we brought in a billion dollars in direct excise tax over three years on cannabis, not including the 10,000 plus jobs made and the additional taxes. This may actually bring the economy back up after we get out of this pandemic. Yeah. So there's benefits to it and we're going to have a, a, an economic shrinking. So I agree with you. There's major opportunity yeah. for the right plays, um, but the, the size of the pie is going to shrink. And, and you know, I'm, I'm on the fence on the whole topic. So I, I would assume that there's someone that could sit here on the other side and say, yeah, but for every dollar that's earned, there's, you know, these costs and this problem and these social issues and, you know, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, but they're right? wrong. Yeah, of course. Because they're. <laughs> they're, they're on the other side. That, for every dollar you get legally in taxation, yeah. you're also not spending money and in incarcerating people for stupid shit like marijuana. Yeah, yeah. So you add that easy is, story. Yeah. You don't want you don't want to legalize it. We'll tell you what: in every city in this country, you can still buy weed on the streets. Now, do you want the tax dollars for it or not? Because it's well, happening either way. Yeah, and and uh, so most of, I'm not really a weed guy, but most of the people I know who, I. who are weed people <laughs> tell me they still buy through the dealer. So um, I mean. Look, you can buy, you can make Florida. beer at home. No, I, I have a house up in, I have a house up in Canada in in uh, Banff, and so there are stores there, you know, and and uh, so I went in one, and I I just was curious, and my girlfriend's never smoked pot in her life, and she was like, "Wow, what is all this stuff?" And uh, so we went in and we were just asking questions because I was curious. I'd never like if you would have asked me when I was a nineteen year old, eighteen year old musician. 
uh, you know, if you would have told me that you could just go down the street and buy it in the store, I would have said, nah, come on. But, you know, so I was just curious and I was asking all these questions. So the last question I asked the girl who was very knowledgeable, I said, do most people still buy from their dealer? And she said, yeah. <laughs> and I said, really? Why? And she said, because it's cheaper, you know, and it shouldn't be, though. Yeah, it's you know, it's funny. It shouldn't I, be in the long run. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that's going to shake out over time. Mm. You know, I, I think we've yeah. gone through all these supply and demand issues and all kinds of stuff, but uh, mm. it, it'll shake its way out. So you you have a past in lighting, though, right? I do. I mean, we go all the way back in uh, the mid 90s in Cleveland. I was going to raves, walked up to a lighting guy. What the hell is this? It was an I-beam controller, the I-beams, the track spots, the techno beams. Yeah. And uh, so he started teaching me, and that was uh, Chip Bullock from Igasm. Right. He's an old HES guy yeah. who's in India now. Yeah. Um, I just saw him last year, actually. I didn't know that um, Chip was in India now. Oh, yeah. He does these massive weddings. I'll show you some pictures and videos he sent me on WhatsApp. That's um, wild. Massive, massive. Uh in terms of well, labor is cheap there, yeah. um, but wedding. So Indian parents save money for three things, nice house, nice car, and their daughter's wedding, everything they've got, they're massive. Uh, when I did my sister's wedding in Cleveland, I brought in gear from five states God. You know, to do the lighting for that, but mostly because I wanted all weird stuff and I had to go to every different shop and track it down. And, um, but that's what you do for your daughter's wedding. That's wild. Um, so then eventually I left Cleveland uh was in Colorado, worked uh, at a nightclub called 8150, running the lights, and for the Bell Valley Foundation, doing uh, their venues and such. Um, ended up in Seattle, missed lighting. So while I'm in law school, I take my school loans and buy some track spots, of course, yeah. um, just for fun. I was just doing shows for like 50 bucks or a couple hundred bucks. And by the time I graduated law school, I was paying all of my bills. Um, and I basically just sold the equipment to get the law firm started. You know, did a slow transition. Oh, wow. And so those shows that you were doing, they were illegal raves? Um, and festivals. I did some corporate stuff, did some stuff with Joe. See how he um, skipped right over the festivals. part where I called him illegal raves and festivals and this and that. <laughs> what, what is it? I didn't hear any denial sometimes. there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I didn't hear what you were asking. What's that now? <laughs> uh, just kidding. So, yeah, I mean, I remember how huge that was and how, you know, really raves built high end, I think, in a sense, in the beginning, you know, between totally. the between the I-beams and the track spots and the emulator and, you know, they were so... Oh, the emulators, oh, those were so great. But when you turn one on now, you can't see it in pitch oh, I mean, blackness. Those bulbs are 300 bucks. Those lamps are 300 bucks. Yeah. Ridiculous, but... Such a brilliant idea back then. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can buy a five dollar laser now that's that's uh, that's brighter than the stuff that we were using, you know, yeah. laser chorus and stuff, right? So, but you need a variance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, true. do you? you? Gotta do your paperwork. So can use them. I don't know, like a ten a ten watt a ten milliwatt fat beam with divergence is fully legal. Yeah. You don't need a variance, and that's way brighter in an emulator. Yeah. That's, that's true. true. <laughs> I mean, my cell phone flashlight is brighter than an emulator. It's true. It's true. They weren't that bright, but it was a cool idea. Uh, do you know Richard Bellevue? I don't. I don't think so. I, you never I've met, met him, him at LDI. LDI. Probably you met, met him at LDI, LDI didn't you? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, mean, I used to go to LDI every year. It just sounds um, to I me like you'd click with him. 
<laughs> you know, it sounds to me like you you would have clicked with him because he really that was his culture, you know, the whole rave thing and stuff. And I mean, he was dreaming this stuff up based on what he liked, not necessarily what the industry wanted. But this is the stuff that he loved, you know, that the IntelliBeam and TrackSpot and Cyberlight and and uh, all of that stuff. So, so how did you yeah. two meet? Uh, he called me up one day. I was doing a. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was legal. I just want to make that clear. Right. Okay. And he's, he called me up. I don't even know where you got my info. Uh, offered you a website. I did have a website. I still have that website, but we don't need to explain the domain because it's, it's going to look pretty cheesy these <laughs> days. Um, so he comes over to the show. I'm setting up with track spots and LEDs. I think you might have read me something. Then he sets up my show for me while I watch. And then we go get drunk. And then we come back and run the show. <laughs> in that order happened, right? right that's yeah funny. it was in that order yeah that's funny <laughs> I, i'd like to spot i just say that uh um what was it espresso vodka oh, <laughs> three boy. olive triple yeah. espresso vodka definitely fueled the lighting company for years that stuff was <laughs> like crack that espresso vodka all of those oh, flavored man. vodkas like when they did vanilla vodka i was like oh Ugh. my god it tastes like dessert <laughs> so you know? the, the coffee vodkas are usually bad, but the triple espresso, three olive, and I think you can special order it, just tastes like espresso. It tastes like coffee. It doesn't taste like sugar and flavoring at all. Oh. <laughs> and it's highly caffeinated, and it gets you drunk before you know it. And, yeah, you know, right. I'm kind of glad they're not on the shelves anymore. Yeah. Well, now we, now we have something better. I believe the, the official whiskey of Gleam Law is Whistlepig. Is that right? Whistlepig. Um, I have probably, I'm probably the number one purchaser of Whistlepig whiskey in the world that's non-commercial. Uh, I've been meaning to email them. I spend 10 to 20 grand a year minimum on it. So what is um, Whistlepig whiskey? It's a, it's a rye out of Vermont. Um, it's very good. It's a higher price point. You know, uh, in Washington, a bottle starts maybe 80 bucks. You know, we usually go to what, the, uh, 100 or 120, but I make it uh, in um, our business culture to give bottles of whiskey. So ordinarily, at least with law, you get a client or you meet somebody that does you a favor, you send them a handwritten thank you card. Well, fuck your thank you card. Yeah. I want a bottle of whiskey. That's so I nice. make it a habit to send a bottle of whiskey every time you know, uh, there's something that, that deserves a thank you. And I would right. like to change business culture nationwide or worldwide that that becomes the standard. Yeah. That's nice. So that's our, our that's law cool. firm whiskey of choice. So you guys just somehow stayed friends? Like he, he was a client of yours, right, Joe? No. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, initially. I don't know. We, you know, we, we, yeah, we, we were mostly more friends and, than client. Right. Client. Yeah. Uh, we, you both like drinking we were whiskey. so tiny. He had some, some CB12s or equivalents, and I had some track spots. I mean, yeah. we can't really be each other's clients with that. Oh, <laughs> right. Eight or 12 fixtures each. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, you mixed you mixed your stuff together and still had 10% of a rig. Yeah, right? Exactly. Well, yeah. I, think, I think at some point I made the statement that, like, either we can be friends or do business together, but I can't fucking do both. <laughs> uh, you know, he hates the negotiation. I'm like, what do you mean it's $50 a picture? I'll give you 45. Uh, that's funny. That's <laughs> hilarious. So, you know, the real reason I reached out to you guys is um, uh, Richard Kadena actually told me, um, Neil, that you were doing these, these drive-through raves. 
And I said, Oh, tell me more. And he goes, why don't you just reach out and call him and get him on your, get him on your podcast. And so, you know, one of the reasons I really wanted to bring you guys on was to kind of validate it as not as a business model for Christie lights or, or PRG, but as a business model for the small guy who's in new Orleans, who's going, you know, I got a warehouse with some gear in it and I don't know what to do. And, you know, some of these guys are looking at it and they just keep getting shot down by the big guys who say, oh, you know, you can't make money doing that. And you're never going to get the bathroom thing worked out and the, the economics just don't work. And so, you know, there's been a lot of sort of poo-pooing on the whole thing. And so for me, I keep seeing these stories. Most of them are coming out of Germany and Europe. Denmark, I think, has had some of them. Um, and, you know, they're saying, hey, look at this great drive-in concert we're doing or this drive-in drive, drive -in, uh, uh, rave that we're doing. And then, you know, so you guys, for me, are kind of like the first people I've talked to who have actually done one. And so how did this come about? Uh, the story starts with whistle pig whiskey, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Most, uh, it seems like you guys only have ideas when you're drunk. Well, that's really true. <laughs> I, I would say that we've, we've had other ideas. <laughs> Let, let's go buy some whiskey. <laughs> Is that the only other idea? <laughs> um, well, I mean, we looked at the German rave, uh, their drive-in party, and we were trying to solve for that. Um, and I saw all of the people sitting around and the equipment gathering dust. It's an untapped resource. How do we utilize this? But really, right. we were trying to solve for the German rave. The issue was the bathrooms. You nail it. Um, and we have all the equipment. We've got the warehouse. We've got a location to do it. Uh, so the way we solved for that on this go, but we've got a number of different other solutions for that, is we ran a, uh, we did proof of concepts and we ended up on a 50 minute slot, less than an hour. So at that point, with fire lanes, at that point, use the bathroom before, use the bathroom after. We're not going to supply bathrooms. You can't get out of your car. Your feet can't touch the ground. Hmm. That is, as the state moves forward with opening up into phase two and phase three, there are guidances that are being provided. And even now, uh, King County, which Seattle's in, is under. Uh, quote-unquote 1.5, which is starting to add guidelines for drive-in concerts. Um, our, our original concept was based on the drive-in religious service, so we'd like to give a, a shout-out to the uh, um, the religious groups who pioneered drive-in religious services. And, <laughs> and we do. <laughs> we yes, have our own do. little sermon, and we do before each one, very non-denominational. <laughs> um, if you, you can even call it that. And we ask for people to say a, a raw man for us. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so, I, I mean, how, how does it all work? Like, so, I mean, you go out and you advertise that we're doing this rave and like, do people pay per car? How do they, how does, how does everything work? Not yet. So, Currently, we we've done we've gotten to a point where we've done the test sample. Our first question was, "Are people going to be interested?" Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Who man. wants to come sit in their car and listen to EDM? Like to me, I mean, that sounds like a traffic jam. Nobody's going to pay you to sit in a, a traffic jam. That's crazy. Right. But once we added lights and we added a DJ and we, and we we put people in cars in front of it, uh, you know, part of it is people are so starved for anything live music right now that it, you have a captive audience. Yeah. And not to say that we're 
we're walking a really thin, thin line of we're not trying to take advantage of that audience by any means, but we're, we're trying to give people what they want, which is live music. And the, yeah. the responses we've gotten have been overwhelmingly positive from everybody. I mean, we, we of course invited down all the local event producers. So we've got reps from AEG reps from live nation reps from independent producers. They've all been down to the show. Yeah. We've now run, uh, was it four, 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 four shows? Yeah, we've all run yeah. four shows. The back of the back lot at our place was is we only fit twenty cars. Yeah. So these aren't but, massive shows, and there's no there's no way you can make money running twenty cars that pays everybody for what they do, pays for the equipment, pays for the space. It's it, it's currently donation only. Right. But okay, we have run the numbers, and we're moving. So our our next iteration is a fifty car parking lot, where we're working with a a guy who owns a warehouse in uh, a little further south that's got a slightly bigger lot okay and he his warehouse uh is based around um what is it called like in, uh live there, virtual some, sports virtual it's, sports it's, um, right it's like yeah it's golfing sports. and laser tag um, and stuff like that which is yeah also some vr stuff miniature yeah. golf yeah. So that, that industry is, is also shut down, as you can imagine. So he's looking for something to do with it. He's, he's stuck paying rent. And uh, we've all got PPP loans to pay people to do whatever we want. So we, we can kind of afford to do these experiments and see what happens. Yeah, you're better so off doing something than having 10 guys sweeping the shop or whatever, right? Exactly. Right. So, so running the numbers on 50 cars, if you do the math, it, it's enough to pay everyone – for it, it, we're essentially creating a driving nightclub in this scenario, right. a very small nightclub, because you, even if you pack four people in a car, you still only got 200 people. Yeah. So mm. most people are coming in one, one person per car, two people per car. Some of the kids are coming in four people cars, you know, and, and we legally, we have to say we are not encouraging this activity. We, we are asking that it only be people from one household that are in a yeah. car Right. Which is, you know, that's, that's yeah, state law. Other, that's what it is. But yeah. The that's the government governor's orders. Right. We don't have any yeah, way of checking to see if it's roommates there in the car or people who live together within a car. And we wouldn't, there's yeah. questions we don't ask. We just, that's, that's not our the job. requirement. And, yeah. and, and people, the people aren't allowed to leave their car though. No. So our rules under religious gatherings are, are if the cars are closer than six feet, the windows can't be open. So we separate them by six feet or more, usually seven. They can hang out of their windows. They can park backwards and pop open the hatch, which we see a lot of people doing. Um, but we just don't let their feet hit the ground. It'll be on top of their cars or through their, their sunroofs. So we follow the governor's orders very strictly because yeah. we want to be a good example of how to do these things correctly. We don't want to flaunt the law. Yeah. But how the hell Which, can you, how can you have, like, we got to assume that people are drinking in their cars. And I know we that do you not got, assume that at all. You guys have nothing to do with they that. They haven't. Yeah. Uh, we, but and um, the driver Even if they're drinking sober. water, even if they're drinking water, like, do they piss out the window? What do they do? It's a one hour slot. That's it? Oh, yeah. it's a one hour I mean, show. We're, we're very, very clear. That's why you're calling it a drive through. Yeah. Event, and right? we can do four slots a night. We can ah. do earlier slots with rock. We can do children's slots. We can theoretically go all night if we have the demand on continuous one hour slots. You like it. Hey, when you drive out, if there's room or you have another ticket, use the bathroom somewhere else and get back in line. Yeah. That's interesting. 
Yeah, that's an so interesting it gets us, concept. Yeah, it gets us out of the bathroom issue. But there is state guidance coming to handle the ga- the bathroom Thing. issue. Yeah, which yeah. is interesting for us because it, it kind of becomes it, it's a little bit economically de- deterrent for us because now if we provide bathrooms, not only do we have to pay to provide the bathrooms, we now have to pay to service the bathrooms, clean the bathrooms, and let people stay for more than an hour. Right. Yeah, and I'd rather get away from that. And plus, how long do you want to sit in your car? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Hour and a half, we think, is the most. Yeah. But then you look at at a normal club night, and your your headline act is maybe only – I've been to headline acts where the headliner only played for 40 minutes. So these are these are primarily or only EDM right now, right? Um, we've played around with some rock, so we're still doing proof of concepts to see where we hit. Um, yeah. We think we can do all genres of music. Everybody wants to go out and see live music. Hmm. And everybody just wants to get the hell out of their house. Music. Yeah. Every every artist we've approached with this has been overjoyed and ecstatic that they're getting to actually play for live people because they're all right now stuck in their bedrooms playing live streams, and, and it, it's just right. not exciting for them as as performers. Um, so yeah, we're doing we're doing EDM because a, a guy with two MacBooks is extremely easy to socially distance. Yeah, we've yeah. also done yeah, a solo yeah. act as a tester with a uh, acoustic singer songwriter. But yeah, this one, well. but these this EDM DJs seven. are they are they like name guys or it's not just a guy that would do sets down at the lounge down down the block? No, it's it's, it's yeah, and it's 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 um you know it's regional acts. Um, okay. Darius has been our 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 biggest. Uh, DJ so far and yeah. Darius he'd open for these larger like um there's a company in town called USC events okay which was kind of a direct competitor to insomniac yeah um in our region and so we're, we're getting the guys who would open for those larger events and okay. we are trying to fill 20 or 50 car slots it's yeah. literally putting out a Facebook posts going who wants to see live music and poof those yeah. slots are yeah. gone yeah, I mean, the drive-through concept is interesting because, like you said, if you're doing, you know, four or five sets a night, an hour each, and mm-hmm. you might have a couple of DJs. Because when I was first doing the math and you were telling me 20 cars or 25 cars or whatever, I'm thinking, holy shit, like how much can you charge per car to make that make sense? Right. But if you're doing a few shows through there a night, then it starts to make sense, you know? Right. So, and so uh, this is never this is never going to be a big money maker. Your 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 larger institutions like Live Nation, they're they're once you step up to trying to do a stadium full of people in cars, yeah, you have yeah. to expand your audio, you have to expand your video with mm. delay screens, delay stacks, and it just yeah. The well, yeah, because the myth yeah, out there is goes that, up exponentially. The myth uh, out there is that you guys are doing doing FM radio, and and uh, you're not, right? You're using no, no, no. Oh, we're we're no. full on live. It's it's yeah. a PA with bass and treble, and I'm like that's what makes it work. I think yeah. that's why people are excited about it because if, we, if you do FM, it's just yeah, you literally might as well be sitting in a traffic jam. Yeah, yeah. But, but the venue right now literally you're like rolling up the back doors on your shop, right. And blasting a bunch of lights out. And, and that's economically viable. There's no yeah. setup. So that's, on a nightly basis, awesome. it's like we've built a nightclub, you roll up the doors, you turn on the power and poof, go. And then do yeah. you have to get some kind of special permitting or something to park cars back there? Or? Hilariously, <laughs> uh, hilariously, I went through every permit, uh, We've somehow found an exact black hole intersection 
between all of the permits. There is absolutely nothing required for this. That's and I insane. mean, we've worked with the city. That's you know, we've worked with the governor's office. Like we've, we've definitely done our outreach on all the political offices. Um, we talked to senators on this, and there's there's nothing even like a yet. noise bylaw permit kind of thing. Well, or? you can no, get a noise variant, but yeah, we're never in an area where there's people living. Yeah, so we've chosen them very carefully. That's yeah, very in fact, interesting. The first night we did it, we were really worried about getting busted for noise ordinance because we're blasting. We're in a commercial district, but we're blasting across the river and up the hill. There's a bunch of pretty high end housing. And yeah. That's, Even we went till 1 a.m. and the the, that's crazy. the police at one point drove by, saw a guy standing with a truck and a mohawk <laughs> in the front the front of our our building. Noticed something was going on. Heard loud music. Took one look at the guy, nodded, and drove off. What? <laughs> yeah, and we were prepared. We wanted a police interaction so we could walk them through and explain how we're we're following the the social isolation orders and all yeah. of that. Which is well, another uh, another point to make is we're you know on, on the outside we're we're kind of presenting this as as this underground secretive rave thing because yeah. people are really like you know you want to know about that speakeasy like mm-hmm. you don't you, you don't want people to know that you know but you know and you think you're cool when you know about this secret thing going on yeah on the back end we've been up every city official county official state of like everyone who, who everyone who will talk about it we've been talking to and the reaction from the both the county level and the city level has been overwhelmingly positive they're just excited that but somebody's getting something they're done blown let, away in some cases let me ask you neil though like if you if you took like a concession trailer where you can open up one side of it or a race car trailer we have a lot of those in racing too mm-hmm. but and and you did the exact same rig but you put it inside a trailer and you went out to an empty field somewhere and did the same thing now you're in a situation where you need permits it really depends i mean we're talking about city county state guidelines so it depends where you're going and where yeah. you're going to do it yeah. um as far as seattle city goes uh the city of seattle goes we're we're just in a missing area and as far as our new venue it's in a different city the city's on our side as well everybody wants this it's going to help the economy it gives something for people to do it lowers the divorce rate for god's sake and the domestic violence rate because those are way through the roof right now yeah well i mean it's a feel-good thing at the end of the day it's just like you know i've been watching ufc fights and even paid for a pay-per-view UFC fight because, you know, I'm just dying to see live sports again, even if it's in their practice gym and there's nobody there, you know, I'm still dying to see it. So, yeah. And it, 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 it well, to your point about, about permitting uh, with a trailer situation, depending on the rig, you probably need to pull an electrical permit because you need a generator mm-hmm. at that point. Right. Yeah. And a temporary right. tie in, but that's really, that's your only permitting in a, in a, land use situation like that um hmm. but e- economically to go back to ticket pricing and to what to charge i mean we're we're trying to figure that out right now because the next venue will be a a pay-per-view slot i mean yeah. it, it will be ticketed and currently if you go out to a nightclub in seattle and you go to the show box it, it could be anywhere from 25 to 35 dollars a ticket per person yeah and the way we've got it priced right now is we're looking at no more than that per yeah. person once yeah. you do the breakdown and it becomes uh, it becomes a break it, it becomes break even and on top of the break even we're trying to make a little bit of money yeah to pay our rents and to pay our our, our services so that the warehouse survives the rent survives 
And well, your gear's sitting there doing nothing right now. Your exactly. people don't so, have anything to do. It gives everybody something to be happy about. You know, right? It's a and, good thing. And on the back end, we're trying to raise money. And one of our one of our thoughts going forward is we're we're going we we plan to approach some of the nightclubs and local hotspots, which are our rental customers normally, and go back to them to go, hey, you know what? We're opening this venue. You come in. You book the artist here's the base cost for what the venue is. We've got it all figured out. It's your turn to take over, give us an artist and, and you get the, and we'll do a percentage of the profits to help save your business. Once you get bathrooms and stuff though, are they going to, are they going to give you any kind of a liquor license at some point where uh, we gonna... can, we can actually do liquor, but I refuse to permit it. Yeah. It's a bad optic, but there's a way with emergency rules that came out from the liquor and cannabis board. That's our regulatory body here. There's a way to do it, but man, serving drinks to people sitting behind the wheel, come on. At a driving you know, event, like it's just yeah. yeah, you gotta be gone in an hour. We're just not doing it, but we have thought about other concessions that you'd order and we'd have waitresses on roller skates, yeah. for instance, so we can yeah. sell them food and the waitress would be wearing masks. Um, well, it is Seattle, so I'm guessing, I'm guessing people are gonna be hungry. <laughs> And they're going to want pizza and Doritos and stuff, right? So, yeah. Was that yeah, like I mean, cannabis? Was that kind of. of I mean, you know, kind of. You know, I haven't smoked pot in a while, but I do remember liking pizza and Doritos when I did. So, Where are you in Florida? Because this loops. is a foodie town. Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. a foodie town. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I've been to Orlando, and I couldn't find a good meal to save my life there. Oh Orlando's God. tough. I mean, I definitely know some places in Orlando that are really, really good, but you know, you got to kind of get off. I drive and all the, but it's just like Vegas. I mean, until now, a lot of the big hotels have really good top chef kind of restaurants in them and stuff. But I used to always go off the beaten path in Vegas. I had a, a you know, a favorite Italian place, a favorite steak place, a favorite sushi place that were all off the strip and, and really good but now you know you've got some of the big chefs that have places but so joe this this probably wouldn't work as well if you didn't have like a you know a top attorney who just happens to be a, a rave fan and you know i'm sure he's not doing this for the money his his uh his rates aren't quite being met on on doing um you know drive in raves or drive through raves no absolutely not and at the end of the day i mean we're 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 pretty much in the same boat there. We're not going to make what we're worth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But what we I are going to do is we're going to be able to to we're going to save the city. Yeah. We're going to save live entertainment, yeah. and we're going to be able to help out. Oh, that's an amazing thing. Let me ask you this: So, is this something that you think would have any potential to survive post COVID? Oh God, no! Or is this no. just a stopgap? No way! This, this is the flash of, in the pan. <laughs> yeah, half of live music, half of entertainment is socialization. Yeah, you mean I gotta yell at the car next to me or text them? No, we want to flirt. We want to mingle. Yeah. yeah, you're gonna meet that cute girl sitting in the Prius by uh, yeah. by hollering across the way. No, you want to buy her a drink. You want to go talk to her. Yeah. No, but what about a drive-in theater setting with that just, uh, you know, where cars still drive in, but there are, uh, you know, but you can get out you and know, party and do all those things. Because, you know, I grew up partying really... at the drive-in movie theater when yeah. I was a young kid growing up in and Western there, There's going to be probably a relapse, or not relapse, but a, a, a re rebirth of the drive-in movie market. Like all yeah. those set, like drive-in cinemas have been 
dying. And, and up, you know, this far north, you have a, the additional problem that right now yes. it doesn't get dark until nine o'clock at night. Oh, so you can't even start a movie into like a projection screen movie unless you're going to put in a giant LED wall. You can't right. even start a, a movie until nine. So that that down south, like once you get south of the 32nd parallel, the sun goes down earlier and earlier, right. even in the summertime. But up here, when the weather is nice, the sun's out. And, right. you know, even even when it comes to outdoor concerts here, there's plenty of concert series where. Yeah, we're we're doing the lighting for the concert series out at Marymore Park, but holy crap, their curfew's at ten o'clock and the sun sets at nine thirty. Yeah. Yeah. So our, yeah, our primary our primary reason to exist is to give the audience exit lighting with the blinders. Like that's right. what it's about. And it's it's fulfilling tour riders. Yeah. And so providing exit lighting. How often are you guys trying to do this? <laughs> um I mean, why can't we go? Well, it depends on demand. We definitely want to do Friday and Saturday, four slots each. But theoretically, this could be done all week long. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. could be done, uh, you know, a hip-hop group or a country music band on a Tuesday. People need to go out. People are going crazy. People yeah. are on the streets yelling about it. Yeah. Might be for other reasons or on the streets protesting too. But Yeah, yeah. No, I agree but with there's, you. There's also a bit of this that, that helps uh, – the country's at a boiling point right now and it's yeah. a pressure cooker and kind of like, you know, the summer 76 or, or like all these other points yeah. where society's just come to that. They, a, it needs a release. It's it needs a good, some sort good of distraction, release. a positive it's, distraction. And and to be very, very clear and blunt, we are not trying to distract from the importance of the socio-political oh, scenario I, playing I, out in I this country that. right now. Yeah. But we think it's still something that people need on top of that. And it, it will, our hope is that providing a ventilation for some of that boiling point will ease some of the violence yeah. and some of the looting and rioting and the actual rioting. Like, yes, protests in the streets, absolutely. And I, I don't want to put words in Neil's mouth, but we are incredibly supportive of BLM and what's going on mm -hmm. right now and social injustice issues. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be providing some sort of outlet for people who need that outlet yeah. of entertainment as well. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And I, I think what you guys are doing is cool. And, you know, for the whole industry, like, uh, you know, one of the things that happened on my happy hour this week and is that uh, um, Michael Strickland from Bandit, who has been a, a huge... Um, sort of a, a lobbyist for our industry to government. You know, he's worked very closely with the people putting together the PPP loans. He's worked very closely on a lot of these programs. And he's also basically gone to very important people, congressmen, senators, uh, et cetera, and really kind of educated them on our industry, said, no, 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 we're not okay. Here's the problem. We we ended the earliest and we're going to come back the latest. And and this is a real, you know, this industry's this big, it's this, it's this. So he's done a fantastic job just really being a, a voice for our industry. But one of the things- Is, is he a part of the Live Event Coalition? Uh, I'm sure he's, he's, he's not a part of it, but I'm sure he's helped them in some way. He's, sure. he's sort of a freestanding guy right now. Like, um, you know, one of the things a lot of people don't know is Michael Strickland was a lawyer. Uh, he was very connected politically growing up. And so he's just really tapping into his background and stuff. And he's always been 
a, you know, an advocate of uh, just really working hard with local and state and federal government on all kinds of things. And he's always been very active. So, you know, he's just really in his wheelhouse now and he's working, you know, 60 hour weeks on the government side of all of this. But um, one of the things he said this week, which I think is is brilliant, is that there's a huge uh, data set that's going to come from these protests. And by the end of June, we're basically going to know either on a positive or on a negative that people can be closer together again. Oh, yeah, right? You know, because we'll there's been... Out pandemic was bullshit or not. Tens of thousands of people have been shoulder to shoulder in these protests. And yeah. everyone's looking at this and, and looking at the numbers and looking at the results of all of this. So by the end of June, you know, we hope and pray that that's going to be a positive result and that, you know, the numbers don't go crazy. And if they don't, I think that, you know, we're going to see some real impact, positive impact, you know, completely different than why they're protesting. But we're going to see some real positive impact for our industry based on the fact that people can, uh, you know, gather. And um, so, yeah. you know, I never really thought of it that way. But wow, another positive result could come from all of this, this protesting. Cool. No, absolutely. And that, so. that's that that it's going to be it's well it's a giant scientific study yeah, uh, yeah i don't necessarily agree true. with the methods of that scientific study but right right it's uh it's kind of built itself yeah yeah well i appreciate you guys very much and uh i know you're both remarkably busy um neil i do intend to reach out to you probably at some point next week i'll shoot you an email and we can set up a time or whatever uh, to sure, talk sure. about other things and joe hopefully uh We'll do some business together in the future or something. Oh. We also named this. To sell. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we also named this project. It's called Covert Bat. So it's covertbat.com if we can give a shout covert out. Covert Bat. Give a shout out. What does First, Covert co Bat mean? Well, it's it's very <laughs> covert. Oh, you bat. can't tell me or it wouldn't be covert, right? Well, the whole <laughs> pandemic came from a bat. Oh, so, of course. Yeah. You know, it's, it's our hidden bat. Right, party. right. Or Interesting. Our hidden virus party. Uncovered, no, you know, a play on COVID, but yeah. also it's the secretive, we, we've started to see secretive parties and yeah. going forward. We didn't want to be tied completely to covid yeah. with the name yeah. because as we go forward who knows what'll happen i like it it's cool i don't name. think drive-in raves are going to be a thing in the future but no. yeah covert bat might yeah yeah no it's fantastic i love what you guys are doing and i appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about it yeah thanks, thanks for having us on the show thanks a whole bunch Peace. Is that it? Is yeah. That, that, See you guys. <laughs> the credits got to roll or something? No credits. Nothing. Nothing. Actually, you know what? I'll let you listen to my closing music, though. Here we go. Oh. 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 Yeah.
some lizard fuel You like a fat child in the god old band You're aware of the one that stands That don't bother a girl like you You get your cake and you eat it too You're my sweet, sweet thing You never buy but you always sting You're my sweet, sweet child 